everyone. Welcome to Let's Talk About It, where we speak with honesty and vulnerability about the real and difficult situations we face in order to shine light and truth into areas of shame and create a space of authenticity and healing. Hey everyone, welcome back. I'm your host, Jackie. And I'm Megan. And we're diving in today and talking about anxiety. Yes. So Megan and I are first just going to talk a little bit about our own experiences with anxiety. We both have gone through it. So Megan, you can start. Yeah. So we do have planned an episode um, later on in this season where we're both going to kind of like interview the other person. Like I'll talk to Jackie and she'll share her experience and story and then the reverse. She'll do me. Um, so we won't go into super a lot of detail, but we both have a pretty significant experience with anxiety. So I have been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder and panic disorder. Um, that diagnosis was from a doctor, so it's like official and everything. And I have been struggling with anxiety since I was very, very young. I can't specifically remember an age. In counseling, the age seven kept coming to my mind. So it was probably between the ages of five and seven, uh, which makes sense because that was, I think when I talk more about my story, that'll come into play. But that was uh, during a large move that my family had and when my dad was diagnosed with a chronic illness. So I think that impacted me as a young person. But I have had anxiety for as long as I can remember, really, <laughs> for the longest time, that was all I ever knew. Um, for me, because I have generalized anxiety, it, it is a constant thing. There are days it's worse. There are times it's worse. But I never knew what it was like to not have anxiety. It was a constant presence with me. And what's interesting is even when I think back about being a little girl, I actually had an imaginary friend <laughs> who was a personification of my anxiety, which is really interesting. And it just goes to illustrate that feeling I had that it was never leaving, always there, always torturing me in a sense. And then the panic disorder comes in when there's a trigger or something, I would have panic attacks. And I've been having panic attacks since I was very young, before I really even knew what was going on. So I have a very similar experience with with anxiety as Megan. I have been struggling with anxiety since I was a child. I had no idea that's what it was. I didn't even know that I had anxiety until I was diagnosed at the age of 20 or 19. I think it was 20, though, by a psychiatrist. I, at the time, was diagnosed with panic disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, along with major depressive disorder. But that's a different topic. Those often play off of each other, though. Mm -hmm. So I also had anxiety since I was a child. I remember laying in bed at night, just being sick to my stomach, a tightness in my chest. I would be worried that every bad thing was going to happen. I remember praying to Mm -hmm. God, being like, God, don't let me be kidnapped. Don't let there be a hurricane. I lived in Ohio by the Ohio River. There was not going to be a hurricane. But I just thought every bad thing was going to happen. I had anxiety walking to math class when I was in third grade, just sick to my stomach. I had no idea. 
When I was also in second grade, I believe, my mom and I were in a car accident. Now that might be a different time. But anyway, when I was around that age and that only increased my anxiety, my mom almost died in this accident. So it was it was really, really bad. And after that, I started having night tears, waking up in the middle of the night, screaming and saying really dark things that a child that age should not be saying. And I mean, ever since then, it's just been something that's lived with me. I would wake up pretty much every day with a constant pit in my stomach, anxiety in my chest that something bad was going to happen. It's like in your brain, you know, Mm -hmm. but for some reason, your whole body is like something bad is going to happen today. And you're like, no, I think everything's fine. And your anxiety's like, no, something's going to (laughs) happen. So that's kind of how I lived my life until I finally started taking medication at the age of 20, 21, mm-hmm. when I realized that that wasn't how normal people exist. Yeah, I think that was a big realization I had to come to as well, that this is not a normal experience. And that kind of naturally leads into kind of what we wanted to talk about today, which is the stigma and struggle surrounding anxiety. Um, so because it isn't something that everybody experiences, there's a lot of misunderstanding and misconceptions around it. And even though our culture has come a long ways when it comes to mental health, it's definitely more of a conversation that's happening than it used to be. You know, I think, you know, even my parents' generation, especially my grandparents' generation, this was not something that you talked about. This was something you bottled up, that you hid, that maybe you talked about within your family, but there was a lot of shame surrounding mental illness. And now that it definitely is getting better, this is something that people are more willing to talk about, but we still have a long ways to go for sure. And as a whole, I do think our culture is not very informed about mental illness and definitely not very informed about anxiety. So we just kind of want to touch briefly on that today. And because I think society is not informed, it is hard for people to reach out to get help. Professional help is not easy to access therapy and talking to a psychiatrist is very expensive so people don't even see that it's an option Um, too many people also just go to their general doctor about this and that's something maybe we'll talk about later but general doctors are not the best for this they can be Mm -hmm. but people don't have access to the mental health mental health help that they need and the quality of care that they need which is a big issue Or they may not even realize that they need to go further than just their general practitioner. For a lot of people, that's the person you go to when you're not feeling well. And if you don't really quite understand what exactly is going on in my body, that's another thing that people don't realize is anxiety exhibits itself very physically as well. It's not all up in your head like people think. There are a lot of physical symptoms that come along with it. And so, so many people, I think, don't know quite how to respond to that. And so, they'll just go to their doctor for these physical symptoms and they'll get treated for symptoms. They're not getting treated for the actual illness. And it never gets taken care of. And they'll wonder, why aren't I getting better? Yeah, some of the different symptoms, having really bad digestion, being sick to your stomach, shortness of breath, chest pain. Some people have thought they were having a heart attack and it Mm -hmm. was actually that they have panic attacks. And as Megan and I were saying, 
we didn't even realize that it was not normal to feel that way all the time. And I think there are a lot of people probably walking around with this constant pit in their stomach and tightness in their chest and don't even realize they have an anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. You know, and I think um, people not only maybe don't know that they should reach out for help, but some people downright to refuse to reach out for help um, because because of the stigma surrounding mental illness. You know, you don't want to be known as the person that's messed up in the head, um, you know, that your brain isn't working properly. That's something that there's still a lot of guilt or shame surrounding it. And so some people refuse to reach out because reaching out for help would mean acknowledging and having to admit to themselves that something isn't going right and that's a scary thing and that's not something to be taken lightly I think too often people who don't struggle with that may say why don't you just reach out for help why don't you just go to a counselor why don't you just go to a therapist and they don't realize it that takes the person having to admit to themselves I am not functioning properly there's something going wrong and a lot what people don't realize is you everyone wants to be normal no one wants to have anxiety this isn't something that's cool or trendy this is something very very difficult to deal with and very embarrassing it's embarrassing to admit that you just feel anxious all the time and so some people just refuse to seek out help which means less people are seeking out help which adds to the struggle of this illness and The stigma surrounding therapy and seeing a psychiatrist, I think, has definitely gotten better in our society, but I still hear from people all the time, if I I go to a therapist or even admit that that's something that I think I should do, that means I'm crazy. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case. You don't have to be to a point where you need to be institutionalized, which there's also a lot of stigma around that where that is not what people think it is, having to go to the hospital for your mental illness. Mm -hmm. The stigma and the stereotype surrounding that is another issue but it doesn't mean you're crazy it doesn't mean there's something drastically wrong with you that you need to go and talk to a therapist or get on medication which is something we'll talk about later the stigma surrounding medication um yeah and so i guess also we can jump into some of the things that some of the misconceptions that people have about anxiety in our society which is that it's just nervousness Mm -hmm. or it's just yeah being nervous all the time or yeah I think a lot of you know I'm this was not always me I was not always comfortable talking about the fact that I have anxiety but now that I have um, you know gone to counseling started medication those kind of things I am more open about it and I have started talking about it more with people and there have been a few times where I've told people that I struggle with anxiety and I'll get the, oh, well, everyone's kind of anxious. Everyone has a little anxiety, you know? Like, everyone's anxious once in a while. Absolutely. Everybody, you know, faces stage fright or gets nervous about having to do a big presentation at their job. That's not the anxiety we're talking about. So, yes, everybody gets nervous. Everybody experiences, to some extent, anxiety, But that is much, much different than someone having an anxiety disorder. Yeah, it's 
completely, completely different. Yeah, having anxiety is a normal part of being a human being, feeling anxious. But having an anxiety disorder looks like throwing up on the side of the street because you're so anxious or passing out, which is something that both Megan and I have gone through. It is a full takes a full toll on your body it's not just being a little nervousness in your stomach no it's having it 24 7 for no reasonable cause there's no cause for it you just feel sick and it's all consuming Mm -hmm. and it's something that it takes over your life and it makes it so you can't function in normal daily activities having anxiety disorder means that it's impeding your normal ability to live your life to do things that you enjoy and are passionate about it's blocking that and you know i i heard it described really great once that basically you know all humans have like the fight or flight system right so when you encounter something that is anxiety provoking your body naturally starts preparing itself to either fight or flight you get pumped with adrenaline you are ready to either run faster than you would normally be able to run or have strength and be able to fight and so everybody experiences that but what anxiety is is that's never turned off and the problem is your body isn't supposed to function in that state consistently and constantly that is supposed to be a small one-time event and that takes a huge toll on your body. So I guess that would be a great way to think of it is this person is in fight or flight all the time, (laughs) every minute of the day. You constantly feel like the end is near, that your life is threatened, that something horrible is going to happen to you. Even in your brain, you know there is no reason that I should be thinking this or feel this sick to my stomach, but your body is just in fight or flight. You don't really know yeah what is going on but it is it's a constant thing it's not yeah just the same as being a little nervous yes it's you know everyone experiences stress stress is a normal part of living life but when stress becomes part of who you are all the time it starts draining you physically and emotionally and we'll talk about this later too but also spiritually this affects your spiritual life as well And I think that's why it's really important that this gets brought to light because so many people wonder why they're struggling spiritually. You know, I believe we're holistic beings. So what's affecting your spirit and your soul is going to affect your body. It's going to affect your mind. It's going to affect everything about you. And so having anxiety means every part of you is going to be affected. Um, So it's not just nervousness. It's not just a phobia. It's not It's also not a weakness. I think that would be the next misconception is that these people are weak or they're dramatic. They just need to suck it up, which is not, that's not how that works. And I think this is particularly hard for men in our society. We talk about going to therapy or admitting that they struggle with anxiety, where it's the same thing as if a guy was saying, oh, I struggle with high blood pressure or diabetes, but because it's so mental, Mm -hmm it's seen as a weakness and men cannot admit this is for all mental illness but i think specifically anxiety they have a really hard time admitting and it's drastically affecting their lives and sometimes it's so extreme that you know the suicide rate for men is a lot higher and i think that that is a big part of it that men are scared to seek help or they think that they're just weak and then they're worthless that they can't get it together right so that's a huge issue that they're not 
truly masculine because it's seen as a weakness even though it's it's so interesting because we wouldn't we wouldn't dare view someone with a chronic illness as weak that would be horrible or someone with a disability someone who had to live their life in a wheelchair if someone called them weak or dramatic we would think they were a horrible person but because it's with the brain it's mental there's this conception that it's you know all up in your head that you're kind of making it up you're creating these problems for yourself no one would say that someone who's diabetic is creating that problem for themselves and so yeah it's a lot different this isn't something that people can help and the sad thing is when you have anxiety you know like you can reason with yourself you can tell yourself i shouldn't be anxious right now there's nothing to be anxious about in like you know that but you can't stop it at least when you're in the drudges of it there is help there is hope for sure and you can through therapy and exercises and medication you can learn how to deal with it but and manage but for sure it's not something that you're just making up it's not all all up in your head so Megan and I have talked about how anxiety has looked for us a little bit but I guess we can also dive into it does look different for everybody so Megan if you want to talk about some of the different ways it can look for people yeah so I think you know saying like anxiety disorder is really really broad Um, anxiety disorders there's actually several different kinds so Jackie and I mentioned we both have generalized anxiety and panic disorder there's also OCD obsessive compulsive disorder there's PTSD post-traumatic stress disorder there's agoraphobia fear of outdoors Um, there's even just specific phobias someone having an anxiety disorder about you know to think of one you know claustrophobia someone being completely impaired because they can't deal with being in spaces these all look very very different so even though there may be general similarities or symptoms it can be difficult to understand that one person struggling with anxiety can look completely different than someone else struggling with anxiety because someone is dealing with obsessive compulsive disorder obsessively needing things to be in a specific order or number or design whereas another person is having panic attacks and they're struggling to breathe and they're frozen in place that looks a lot different but they're both anxiety disorders i think too there's there's really like three aspects of how anxiety can manifest and we can kind of talk about this next but there's behavioral symptoms psychological symptoms and physical symptoms and we've kind of touched on physical you know there's the cardiovascular respiratory struggling to breathe neurological you're creating pathways in your brain Uh, gastrointestinal excuse me gastrointestinal that's a big one i have struggled with Um, and then musculoskeletal actually um, because you're tensing so much that can affect your muscles and your skeletal system so those physical symptoms is a big one Um, but then there's behavioral and also psychological So some of the psychological symptoms are unrealistic or excessive fear and worry about past and future events, your mind racing or just completely going blank, decreased concentration or memory memory loss, um, just not being able to remember things, indecisiveness, irritability, impatience. It also is really interesting that anxiety can present itself as anger or confusion. Anger is a symptom that you wouldn't 
necessarily associate with anxiety, but sometimes people getting really angry just because they're so anxious about what's going on. So they can't control their temper, um, restlessness, feeling on edge or nervous, which seems obvious, but also fatigue and sleep disturbance and vivid dreams, which is something that I really struggled with as a child and sometimes still do. Mm -hmm. um, waking up in the middle of the night, just completely, you know, your chest tight and feeling like you can't breathe because of really ex uh, extreme and vivid dreams that you've had. Mm -hmm. For sure. And I think um, one that was really surprising to me was the decreased concentration. Um, so I didn't even recognize that about myself because the other symptoms I was experiencing were so much more present and obvious to me. But once I started medication, suddenly I was just able to focus so much better. And that was so amazing to me. And actually people pointed it out at my job. Like, wow, you seem really focused and concentrated. <laughs> and it was like, wow, I didn't even realize that my anxiety was affecting that. So the, a lot of these symptoms, even people may be experiencing them, don't even notice. Um, and behavioral can kind of come into that. So behavioral symptoms could be avoidance of situations, obsessive or compulsive behaviors, distress in normal social situations that shouldn't cause distress, and then phobic behavior. So that's a lot to kind of throw at everyone. But I think what this shows is that anxiety puts a big strain on someone's body and someone shouldn't be dealing with all of these things. That's not normal to be having to deal with on a daily basis. Yeah, and I think recognizing and naming the struggle, it helps you to deal with these symptoms that you're having because, at least for me, I used to avoid certain situations and I used to think, why can't you just get it together? Why are you so... I used to like say it was almost laziness that I wouldn't do certain things or approach certain situations because it gave me just so much anxiety that I would feel sick, like I was going to pass out. And then when I realized it was like, oh no, I actually have a mental illness. It helped me to deal with what I was going through and deal with the anxiety and then be able to approach the situation. But it's a lot easier to be kinder with yourself when you realize that you're dealing with a mental illness. There's a lot of negative self-talk that goes into struggling with anxiety. Um, you know, other mental illnesses as well. But since we're focusing on anxiety, you know, you feel stupid. You feel stupid not being able to drive your car somewhere because ev like getting in the car physically makes you vomit. You feel dumb. It's embarrassing. And so, of course, you don't want to talk about it with people. Of course, you don't want to tell people. And a lot of times you'll make up excuses or reasons why you can't do certain things. And it's it's so important to bring this to light so that people know also if you don't struggle with anxiety how can you show compassion and empathy and help towards someone who does you know what are things you can avoid saying don't tell them they're stupid or that they need to just try harder because truly they are truly they are <laughs> or that they just need to suck it up and i know that to you it might not make any sense and it's annoying and it's frustrating and even as someone that struggled with anxiety I've seen that in myself with um, I had someone very close to me who also struggles with anxiety but has anxiety about different things and so even in myself I'll see myself getting frustrated like why can't you just get it together and then I have to pull back and realize oh no you deal with this but in different areas so I understand the struggle but it really takes a lot of patience and yeah, compassion on the other person to see that for them, this is a big deal and they can't just suck it up.
And it's so important because a mental illness can be extremely isolating. And so these people need to be brought into community. You know, that's why it's so awesome that Jackie and I are willing to talk about our anxiety struggles to each other because that brings hope and it brings healing because you are with someone. You're not alone. So I guess next we can dive into the stigma around medication, which, oh man, this was something that I, I mean, I had a stigma Mm -hmm. before I started taking it. So much so that when I was first diagnosed with anxiety and depression, I did not take my medication consistently. He gave it to me and I was like, okay, I guess I'll, I'll try And I just didn't take it consistently because I didn't think I should need it. I thought that healthy uh, living, exercise, healthy eating, breathing, going outside should be enough. And I was very terrified of medication. I heard that it could just mess you up and that you shouldn't be dependent on it. And that almost, I mean, I got so bad that I was in a yeah really, really bad place, was not safe for myself. And as soon as I started taking medication... It just changed everything. It was the base that I needed for all of the other coping mechanisms, such as therapy and healthy eating and exercise, to even actually help me. My brain needed those chemicals and the medication as the base for anything else to even help. Because, you know, medication shouldn't be used alone. Most of the time, you should also be changing your lifestyle and going to therapy, which is a big, big thing. But... It's necessary for some people, whether that's for the rest of your life, for a short period of time, just to get your brain um, functioning as it should again. But the stigma around medication is just so frustrating to me. And it's also threatening people's lives, that they're avoiding something that could save their life or make their everyday functioning so much easier. And so Megan also takes medication, so she can speak on that too. Yeah, I would totally echo everything that Jackie said with her um, own, you know, the way she approached it was very similar to me. I, you know, I was worried, oh, well, I don't want to be dependent on something. You know, I should just be able to live my life as a human. Yeah, you should, but you can't, which is why you would need the medication. And, you know, I think to compare it to a more physical thing, because that can be sometimes easier, is to think if someone um, gets an injury and they need to go to physical therapy. That's so important. Physical therapy helps in the long run. Physical therapy is what is needed to get their muscles to start working again, to get joints back into place. But someone can't go to physical therapy if they have a gaping, bleeding, pussy wound. They first need to get that wound taken care of. And I think that's what people don't understand with medication and the combination with therapy for mental illness is that A lot of times it's too difficult for someone to actually go through therapy if they don't have medication along with it because therapy digs stuff up. Just like physical therapy for an injury is oftentimes, if not all the time, painful, mental therapy is painful as well. And if you have a gaping, gushing wound that isn't being addressed, you need the stitches first. You need it stitched up before you can even start working on those, strengthening those muscles. And so I think that was what really helped me see this as, you know, not everyone needs medication for their whole life. Some people do, and that's okay. But not everyone needs it their whole life. That also doesn't mean they don't need it in the now, and they might need it in order to actually be able to get through therapy. That's super, super important. 
Yeah, another thing you can compare it to is someone that has type 1 diabetes and has to take insulin every day. So they are putting something in their body that already should have been there, that the rest of our bodies already naturally do. They're not putting in some extra chemical. It's not like a drug where you're getting dependent on, you know, like heroin, which is messing with the chemicals in your brain and making you dependent on those levels of dopamine that they are creating. No, this is something that already should have been working in my brain correctly. Um, like my serotonin levels are off and everyone's perfectly functioning brain, everyone else that doesn't have this mental illness, their brain is already producing that serotonin as the brain should. My brain was not. So it's okay to be putting in this chemical or taking this pill that helps my brain create this and generate this chemical that it was not already doing. So it's not the same thing as being dependent on some drug or some unnecessary, not not a doctor, so I don't know exactly how to say this, but it's the same as taking insulin for your type 1 diabetes as it would be for someone that has a chemical imbalance that they just need to mm-hmm. uh, balance out with medication. Yeah, yeah, to bounce off of that, you know, some people say, like, you're messing with your brain. Brain was already pretty messed up. <laughs> like, that is why this is needed. And so this is a, a needed chemical for normal everyday functioning that for some reason that we don't know because we live in a broken fallen world and our bodies are broken because of sin and the fall and everything you know we we aren't in our heavenly bodies yet and so there are there's brokenness and so this is a a lack that medication is making up for it medication is not adding something that you know, I, I don't have a brain that has a normal amount of serotonin and then I'm adding serotonin on top of that. Yeah, that would be really bad to be dependent on. That's not what's going on. No, and yeah, some people are just born with not having enough serotonin. Another thing that can happen is going through enough trauma or stressful situations can alter the brain so that it's no longer producing the right kind of chemicals. So some people might need to take it forever because their brain just isn't working since they were born the right way or some people may need to just take it for a little bit of time to get their brain back on track you know it's different for each person and i think it's really it's really harmful to make those blanket judgments and it's true that medication is overprescribed. this is something that is not a secret a lot of people just go to their general practitioner and they'll throw the general whatever anxiety or depression medication to the person and that's not always what somebody needs. Some people really just do need, do need to go to therapy, change their lifestyle, change the way that they're thinking. But that can't stop people that do need medication or could benefit from it from getting it. And it shouldn't be that we just think everyone can get through this without medication because that's just not the case. Yeah, you know, I think um, me- mental illness is probably better compared to a chronic illness Um, so if you look up like what what exactly is the definition of a chronic illness a chronic illness is often lifelong um, but it's an ongoing daily and it has to be lasting for three months or longer and it's interesting when you look up diagnosis for mental health you know if someone has depression they have to have been experiencing it for three months or longer So it's really interesting because that's the same with a chronic illness, chronic pain, chronic sickness. Um, So mental illness isn't something that can just be cured on its own or just go away one day. This is something that needs medical help, therapy, counseling. Those are important, important things. 
that's necessary. This isn't just something that, you know, well, if I just start exercising and drinking more water, this will go away. For some people, if they're dealing with some stress in their life, absolutely. Start working out more. Go on a run. Start doing prayer and meditation. That would help. But telling someone with a chronic illness that they just need to take Tylenol, that won't help them. And something I experienced in my my own story that just like a physical illness, cancer, diabetes, high blood pressure, the longer you go without treating it, the worse it gets. That was definitely something I saw in my own story that I just kept pushing it off. I didn't want, because of the stigma I saw with medication, even though I was going to therapy and doing other things in my life to help it, I wasn't doing what my body needed. So it just kept getting worse to the point where it was... I was a threat to myself. So yeah, having the stigma around medication, I think is very dangerous and something that I really hope as a society we can get get better at and become more educated about. And I think the stigma around medication, sadly, is very common in Christian circles. So that's kind of what we wanted to um, end this conversation with is the response Um, that is sometimes in Christian communities. So it's really sad because of being people of faith should mean that we have more compassion and more grace with people. Uh, But sadly, because of, I honestly think, misunderstandings, a lot of times it isn't malicious. There's a lot of misconception surrounding taking medication for a mental illness, especially anxiety. So a lot of times I would hear people tell me, you know, like, well, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and, you know, supplication, bring your request before God and and let the peace that surpasses understanding guard your hearts and minds before Jesus. Of course, that is beautiful. Like, absolutely, we, we should be taking our anxieties to the Lord. And that is a big part of anxiety is in my own story, I have struggled a lot with not trusting in God and not feeling like he's there for me or feeling like he's answering my prayers. But that doesn't mean that I shouldn't have also been taking medication. And so there's kind of this stigma that people with anxiety should just trust God more and that would mean their anxiety would go away or that if they just had more faith, that their anxiety would go away. And I think the big danger with that is that is a workspace salvation, and that's not how our faith goes. We do not access God's grace by working harder. We do not access God's grace by having stronger faith and pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. That's not how it works in anything. You know, if you are struggling with a specific sin, if you're struggling with lust, you don't just buckle down and grin and bear it and work harder and get it all figured out and then go to God and say, whew, I'm glad I finally figured that out. No, the reason we needed Jesus to die on the cross for us is because we can't do it on our own. So telling someone that has anxiety that they just need to trust God harder, that's telling them that they need to work harder to access God's grace, which is not true. Yeah, and if you were struggling with I've said this before, but if someone had diabetes or high blood pressure, you wouldn't hear very often Christians telling them, well, you just need to trust in God more. I'm sure that definitely is something that happens, but it's far less common. They would say, oh, of course, take your medication. And for some reason, having anxiety or an anxiety disorder or any kind of mental illness is seen as something different. 
I, I mean, I was just doing a live stream with three other women in my community and we brought up uh, mental health. Some of the topic was on mental health. And I talked about how uh, medication was something that I needed and then the stigma around it. And even some people in my community in the comments were saying medication is just a band-aid and gives you false hope. You really just need to be leaning on God and praying to God about this. And thankfully, there were several people in the comments that actually came back at this person and said, no, that's actually not the case. Some people need medication. So thankfully, I have met a lot of people in my communities that are very understanding. Uh, it was actually at my college, which is Catholic, where the nurse even, you know, gave me medication and my therapists were always very supportive of that. But unfortunately, that is not always the case. And I have faced a lot of people that when I tell them I take medication, there is an automatic judgment even when I tell them that I go to therapy and that I'm not just seeking out spiritual help, there's mm -hmm. a judgment that, well, you just need to be praying more. And, you know, that scripture verse, be not afraid, you know, do not be anxious. That is always thrown back at you. <laughs> and it's just, that's, that's not what we're talking about. And I actually was reading a book recently. It's called, I Believe in Love. Um, it's a very Catholic book, but Megan will appreciate this. <laughs> it's a personal retreat based on the teachings of St. Therese of Lisieux, which if you're Catholic, you will know who she is. She's one of the most popular saints. But um, the author, I'm not even going to try to say his name because I don't know how. Just look up the book. <laughs> but he talks about how when when we're, that worrying is even just normal worrying is a part of our nature. And it really only becomes a sin when it's with a full consent of our will and he was saying you're going to naturally worry as a human just even normal worry not even anxiety but where the sin comes in is when we fully consent to it with our will mm -hmm. and the balance of where that comes in i'm not sure but when you're having anxiety an actual disorder that is not consented with your fully with your will that is something that you cannot control so the fact that the scripture verse gets thrown at that is just not that's not accurate. That's not what we're dealing with. And in this book, he wasn't even talking about mental illness. He was talking about how in our very nature, because we are broken and fallen being, beings because of original sin, we are going to worry. And then we just have to keep giving that worry back to God. And God is very merciful. He knows that you're dealing with, if you're dealing with a mental illness. And he, it's not a sin to be anxious when you're having a panic attack or something. It's not a sin. God is so merciful. God understands the anxiety we felt, you know, in the in the um, garden when before he was crucified, uh, he had extreme anxiety, so much so that he was bleeding. Jesus was sweating, sweating blood, y'all. Blood. God, oh, he understands. That's something that has been so comforting to me mm -hmm. in my anxiety is that God fully understands the weight of what I'm dealing with and he is with me in it. He's not judging me. He is not upset with me. He is just crying with me when I am going mm -hmm. through this and next to me holding me in his arms. And I wish that some Christians would see it and have the same compassion because it's been it's so harmful that so many Christians will go to a clergy member or a priest or a pastor before they go to a therapist. Mm -hmm. And I think that you should address all of the issues. You should be taking care of your spiritual side as well. So going to a spiritual director or advisor. But you also need to be taking care of the medical and clinical side of it as well. Yeah. And I think it's so beautiful that God condescends to us as father, as our heavenly father. Because if you think, you know, I 
don't yet have children. I'm not blessed in that way yet. Um, but when I think about how a parent would view their small child, if your small child ran up to you scared, even if they were scared about something stupid like the dark or a monster in their closet, no loving parent would look at that child and mock them or deride them or toss them aside. There is such a great love and compassion and oftentimes it results in the parents scooping that child up in a big hug. And that is how we should view the way God approaches us when we run to him with our anxiety and so sadly too often anxiety keeps people from the lord and instead this should be something that pushes us towards him and i know when i was in high school um, and i was really struggling with anxiety for years i would pray and i would beg and plead god just take it away from me just take it away like why can't you just completely remove my anxiety completely take it away i don't want to deal with this and there was one day when i was crying and I had been praying that and I randomly opened up my Bible which I don't always recommend don't just go flipping through your Bible but I randomly opened up my Bible and it was in 2 Corinthians 12 and in that chapter Paul is talking about the thorn in his side and how you know um, it's a he describes it as a messenger of Satan to harass him and for some reason that just totally connected to me with my anxiety and I love how it even says in verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that he would, that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak then I am strong. So what I don't want you to hear from that is that I think anxiety is a weakness because it's not. But that is that is how it feels, right? You feel weak. And what I want you to get from this is that God's grace is sufficient for us and that his power is made perfect in our weaknesses, in our flaws, in the ways that our bodies are broken. And he is there for us and through those weaknesses, when we are trusting in him and we are abiding in him, we are made strong. So that is your hope. That's your your spiritual hope today. And oh, just everything Megan just said. It's so funny. I was just thinking about the same verse, even before I showed up here today, praying about it with my anxiety and that, yeah, God doesn't always automatically heal us because it's often the journey of dealing with mm-hmm. that thorn in our side, that that illness or struggle due to our fallen nature Mm -hmm. that we come closer with God and we abide more intimately with him because it's in it's in those wounds that Jesus comes so close to us and so it's when we give him those wounds it's when he slowly works with us in them and heals us that we receive more joy and that we are sanctified. It's because we're walking with Jesus in that. He doesn't just Mm -hmm. automatically heal us because the journey of healing and with him being close to us in those wounds is even more beautiful and beneficial for our sanctification. And that is so hard to see Mm -hmm. in the moment. But I think when we get to heaven and we're going to see, oh, just the beauty that God works through all of that. And it's not, yeah, that you should be glorifying or romanticizing suffering or seeking it out, but it's just 
it's just what it is. You know, we all have those thorns in our sides or things that we go through. And God only lets those things happen or lets them continue if it can benefit us or further sanctify us and bring us closer to him, which is our ultimate goal is to be Mm. close to him. So if going through this is going to bring me closer to Jesus and make me more like him, make me more like him with the wounds in his hand and the wounds on his side, like the crucified Christ and what he went through, then I, you know, I just pray for the holiness to accept that and walk with him through that. And how beautiful that change of perspective is, that there's a purpose in this pain and that even my anxiety, which is horrible and nothing about it could make it good, that even in that God works everything for good and how amazing and powerful he is in that. And so that even that change of perspective can really help. And I think as Christians, that's what we should be promoting in people is this pain is valid and it is horrible and you shouldn't have to deal with this because guess what we shouldn't be living in this fallen world there shouldn't be sin there shouldn't be brokenness there shouldn't be pain there shouldn't be illness but there is and how amazing and gracious is it that we have a god that works with us through that and walks with us that is so beautiful and so let's let's walk with each other let's come alongside people and keep people from being alone and isolated in their anxiety because that's not how God treats us and we want to be image bearers and be Christ-like towards our brothers and sisters. Let's not hide in shame, hide in darkness about our struggle. Let's bring it to the light. Let's talk about it.